0: Here's everything you might have missed in Andor Episode 5. Welcome back, you Cassian Fandors, to our weekly breakdown of Andor. Like Anakin on the shores of Mustafar, this week's episode was a slow burn. But amid those sparks of rebellion were some Easter eggs and small moments that you might have missed. We're going to break them all down for you in just a moment, but to do so we're going to need to spoil what happens. So if you haven't seen the latest episode of Andor, leave now before it's too late. I'll be back in an hour. Okay, let's get into it, shall we? This week's episode focuses on three main groups. The rebels on Aldani prepping for their mission, Cyril Karn having the worst day of his life at home with his mom, and Mon Mothma making Mon Movemas on Coruscant. It very much has a table setting feel for what's bound to be an explosive episode six, the midway point of the season. But otherwise, this episode was very much all about the calm before the storm, giving us more backstory and enough stewing that I'm surprised Grief Karga didn't show up. Now you take this home, throw it in a pot, add some broth, a potato, baby, you got a stew going. Wait, sorry, wrong Carl Weathers role. The episode begins with Cyril Carn about to cry because his life as he knew it was over. After sitting down for breakfast with his mom, it's easy to see why he feels this way. Edie is overbearing, judgmental, and highly critical of her fascist fail son. You might as well wear a sign that says, I promise to disappoint you. She feeds him a mysterious-looking cereal that we're going to call Grogu Puffs for the time being because they kind of look like Grogu in his little robes. There's a nice pitcher of blue milk on the table, too, a favorite of Luke Skywalker's. As for the fruit, while it bears a visual resemblance to the Melarune fruit that we've seen in The Clone Wars, Rebels, and The Book of Boba Fett, it's actually the Kiwano melon, a real-life fruit. As for Uncle Harlow, clearly he's well-connected and will be able to use his nepotism network to get Cyril out of his mom's apartment and into a more productive line of work. Cyril doesn't care, though. He's just too busy, like the rest of us, surrounded by action figures, watching Andor on his phone late at night. On Aldani, Skeen clocks that Clem's story doesn't quite add up. He even notices that Cassian still has a corporate blaster that he killed the guards with back in Episode 1. He also deduces that Cassian spent time in prison when he was younger because Cassian understands his prison tattoos. He has one that is for crate head, referencing the crate dragon, the fearsome monster we saw taken down on The Mandalorian. Here it's likely a prison gang, but the head of a crate dragon was an important relic for the Tusken Raiders that first appeared in the Star Wars Galaxy's MMORPG. His other tattoo means by the hand. It looks like a hand if you're looking at it from Skeen's perspective, or a dude in a business suit from Cassian's perspective. As alluded to by Luth in last episode, Cassian Ander confirms he spent time in prison when he was 13 years old. He said he was at a juvenile detention center at Saipo for three years. Considering he left prison to go directly to the conflict on Mimban, he's definitely had a rough childhood. Later, Cassian gets the full comrade Nemec experience as the model building rebel regales him with the ideas that will fill his manifesto. The old school, untraceable navigation unit he uses is actually a Polaroid SX-70. That's fun. Between that and his artisanal milk, Nemec really is that dude from your freshman year college philosophy seminar. With that said, he does make some pretty compelling points. The pace of repression outstrips our ability to understand it, and that is the real trick of the imperial thought machine. It's easier to hide behind 40 atrocities than a single incident. As for the Dre milk that Nemec serves Cassian, this completes the rule of threes in Star Wars. We have blue milk, green milk, and now this weird yellowish milk. I'm going to assume the Dreys are those six horned goats because the only dray we know of is a Jedi Padawan from the Star Wars Invasion comics, who looks like this. Believe me when I say, you do not want that guy's milk. While no one can doubt how committed the Rebels on Aldani are, Cassian can tell that they aren't quite as ready for this mission as they claim to be. Not only do they not know how to get the ship carrying the payroll out of the base, but their formation skills leave much to be desired. It all goes to show what a smooth operator and quick study Cassian is and why he'll become such an important asset to the Rebellion. Although Cassian ultimately confesses to only being part of the mission for an easy payday, something tells me that this mission is what will help radicalize him. As Vel puts it, everyone has their own Rebellion, which is the kind of line that feels like an instant Star Wars classic. Something also tells us that Namek is going to bite it on this mission and that Cassian will take his death and manifesto to heart. Are I Possibly. At the Imperial garrison, Lieutenant Gorn questions one of his men who spouts off some xenophobic prattle about the Aldani people. It clearly rubs Gorn the wrong way because, as we come to learn, he fell in love with an Aldani woman who seemingly died as a result of the Empire displacing their people. On the walkway, we can also see a pee tower, which is not, as you might think, a tower you pee from. It's actually a laser turret, the likes of which we saw during the Battle of Hoth in The Empire Strikes Back. They're also very fun to shoot your friends with in the Battlefront games. Meanwhile in Coruscant, we see that Mon Mothma is better at being a senator than a Mom Mothma. Her daughter Leda seems to resent her mom for putting her work first, unaware of what her mother is doing behind the scenes. Leda was first referenced in the 1993 Dark Empire Sourcebook, a supplement for the Star Wars role-playing game. She wasn't named, though, until 2002's New Essential Guide to Characters book. Based on how uncomfortable the car ride with Perrin later in the episode is, Mon Mothma might want to consider saying, May the divorce be with you instead. At the ISB headquarters, we see Supervisor Blevin returning from installing Imperial jackboots on Ferrex. In her office, Deidre Miro is looking for connections between these seemingly random thefts. Or should I say, pockets. Pockets. Pockets of rebellion fomenting across the galaxy. Pockets. They mention specific incidents on Hosnian Prime, Kessel, Fondor, Jakku, Base K, and Steerguard. Hosnian Prime is the future site of the New Republic's capital, which is summarily destroyed in The Force Awakens. The disturbance on Kessel likely references the Specters rescuing Wookiees from the spice mines of Kessel in the premiere episode of Star Wars Rebels. The incident on Fondor was likely Luthan Rail stealing a modified Fondor Hallcraft which can jump to hyperspace. According to The Force Awakens Visual Dictionary, the Empire built a secret research base on Jakku, Rey's home planet, so the targeting consoles were likely pilfered from there. As for Base K and Steerguard, there are other Imperial naval outposts we haven't had the chance to visit yet. More importantly, Deidre and Attendant Heert seem like they're about to bust this case wide open. It's too random to be random. They're noticing a pattern in the chaos as these pockets of rebellion, Pockets, are committing space crime and robbing the Empire in plain sight. So naturally, she pops a space Adderall and gets ready to pull an evil all-nighter. For more on the fascinating history of amphetamines in a real-world fascist regime, though, check out Norman oler's book, Blitzed. Back on Aldani, they burn the scale model of the Imperial Garrison. Once again, it's just like Doc Brown's model because not only is it not to scale, but it catches on fire as well. <laughs> While standing around the fire, Vel toasts to the rebellion, which may be our first reference to what was previously just, you know what, I'm not gonna say it, just play the damn clip. Bucket! More interesting is that Skeen knows exactly what a Sky Kyber crystal is and how much it's worth. Given that Luthen mentions Andor can be tied back to him, this crystal may ultimately prove to be his undoing. Ultimately, Skeen and Cassian make a loose peace with each other when Skeen opens up about his brother's death. After the Empire took away his livelihood, Skeen's brother took his own life. So this is a deeply personal fight for Skeen. He apparently grew pepper trees. The only pepper trees we've heard of previously are Bothan pepper trees, which were mentioned in a 2002 Star Wars role-playing game adventure, The Air Up There. Last but not least, we return to Luthan Rail's art gallery on Coruscant, where he is listening to a radio, awaiting updates from Aldani. You can spot a number of relics that appeared in last week's episode, too. Over his shoulder are a Jedi and Sith holocron, relics that contained ancient lore from these powerful Force users. You can also spot what looks like the suit of Starkiller's armor from The Force Unleashed, which was on display in the front room last week. While we saw Indiana Jones' whip encased in carbonite last week, this week we can spot another Indiana Jones Easter egg, the Sankara Stones on the shelf. These were the magical MacGuffins at the core of Indy's quest in Temple of Doom. Who knows, maybe next week we'll see a fridge. Anyway, folks, there you have it. That is everything we spotted in this week's episode of Andor. We'll be back next week with another deep dive into the galaxy far, far away. In the meantime, tell us. What did you think of this week's episode? Did you spot anything that we missed? Well, that's just, nobody cares. You can relax. Let us know in the comments below. And for the latest and greatest in the world of pop culture, stay tuned to Nerdist.com.